Okay, to begin the chapter, we are on a trajectory over here, and that is that we're going to have to have joy. Joy is absolutely essential, and we're working through one obstacle after another to make sure, hi CC, to make sure that they're out of the way. We can't have things in the way from keep making us happy. We need to have a buoyant spirit. We need to be indomitable, and that happens when we have joy. We can totally win over the dark side when we have that fortified spirit, that buoyant heart. So we looked at one thing after another to get them out of the way to make sure that they don't stop us from being happy. The first thing that we looked at was sadness stemming from material problems. And the altruist said, oh, you think that's a reason to be sad? That's not a reason to be sad. And not only is that not a reason to be sad, that's a reason to actually be happy. Okay. So that's how we dealt with material problems. Not a reason for sadness, just another reason to be happy. Okay, then we looked at spiritual problems. And we said, you're right. A sin, setting up a partition between you and Hashem, that might be a reason to be very, very sad. And in fact, it is a reason to be very, very sad. But practically speaking, we can't be sad. We have to be happy because we have to serve Hashem with joy. So for the most part, anytime we start to feel sadness because of a spiritual problem, uh, sin, a partition that we ourselves has set up between us and Hashem, what we need to do is immediately divert attention and say, now is not the time. And then every once in a while, we set aside time with a calm mind to look at our sins, to do teshuva, to meditate about Hashem. And then as soon as we've done that, we wash up and we're happy again. We're happy because we're secure in the knowledge that Hashem has forgiven us. And what a joy that is, knowing for sure that even though we sin, Hashem has taken us back, welcomed us with open arms and with love. That's a joy that's like darkness that comes out of light. It's a special kind of joy. So that was dealing with spiritual problems. But this chapter, we started another kind of spiritual problem. And this is the spiritual problem of having inner complications, of having a dark side, of having to struggle. The Alter Rebbe started off this chapter and said, you know what? This is not a reason to be sad. In fact, here's another great reason to be happy. Every time you have a struggle, you should know that you are privileged to fulfill the biblical injunction, You shall not wander after your eyes and after your hearts, after which you stray. A tzaddik can't do this. Who could do this? Only somebody who has a dark side. So here is yet another reason to be happy. You have a dark side. You have the chance to serve Hashem by not falling prey. You, every time you resist, every time you don't give in, it's not just that you've avoided distance. It's not like you just sidestepped the pit. You actually have a new opportunity for connection because our sages teach us that when a person has the temptation and opportunity to sin and yet they resist, it's like they actually did a mitzvah. Mitzvah being connection. They forge a new connection with Hashem through this opportunity. So a person who has a dark side and every time a thought pops into their head that shouldn't pop into their head, a sinful thought or desire, and they resist, they are able to fulfill the biblical injunction. You shall not stray after your eyes and after your hearts. And here's another reason to be happy. And now the Altar is going to fur- further develop this idea. We're in the middle of page three. We're going to look at the special advantage that there is in this service, specifically the person who has the dark side. Uvechol <laughs> Sitra Achara Lasata. 
With every repulsion of this thought from his mind, the Sitra Ahura is suppressed below in this world. Now the exact translation is, with each and every repulsion. That means that sometimes, let's say a person failed before. It doesn't matter. Every time that they don't fail, every time that they are successful in repelling the thoughts that come from the Sitra Ahura, Sitra Ahura meaning the other side, referring to the dark side, then they are subduing the Sitra Ahura. How are they subduing the Sitra Ahura? Well, we learned before the beginning of Tanya that we have two souls. We have an animal soul and we have a divine soul. Our animal soul, even though it has some very good qualities, also has negative qualities. In fact, that's more of its definition, an animal. It's egocentric. It doesn't mean necessarily bad. It means it wants to be comfortable. Where does our animal side come from? It comes from the Sitra Ahura, the other side. Where are the thoughts popping into our head from? They're coming from our animal soul, which is the little Sitra Ahura inside of us. So the Sitra Ahura inside of us, the animal soul, gives us an invitation to think something that we shouldn't. It says here, think this sinful thought, have this sinful desire. And you say, no, you divert attention. You start thinking something else immediately. What did you do at that moment? At that moment, you suppress the Sitra Ahura. You repress the animal soul. When you repress the animal soul, you subjugated it. And since the arousal from below, in our case, the initiative of the Benoni in suppressing the Sitra Ahura, produces a corresponding arousal above, the Sitra Ahura above, in the supernal worlds, the root of the Sitra Ahura of this world, which soars aloft like an eagle, is also suppressed. So here's something very amazing. This is something that we learn from the Zohar. The Zohar teaches us, is arusa de la sata, is arusa de la ela. With an arousal from below comes a corresponding arousal above. For example, a person acts charitably in this world. He elicits a response from the midas hachesed, the attribute of kindness above. Every time we do something in our own small scale down here below, we cause a corresponding arousal above. Every time we do something small here below, we do something huge above. So what's happening? Every time a person subdues the Sitra Ahura down here below, their own Sitra Ahura, their animal soul, they cause a corresponding effect above. And what happens? Realizing the verse, this is from the prophecy of Ovadia. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, I will yet bring you down there, says God. So what is the person doing? They're subduing the Sitra Ahura. What are they, when they're doing something small, they think it's just, nobody sees what's going on. What makes them a hero? Nobody knows what's going on in their mind. This seems, this is big. What's big is what our forefathers did. What's big is what our foremothers did. My little struggle inside my heart that nobody sees and nobody is cognizant of, this is big? Actually, yes. Do you know how huge this is? Every single time a person repels their dark side, every single time they take their animal soul and refuse the invitation and stick its head in the mud, you know what, you know what happens? There is a corresponding global effect. The root of the Sitra Ahura above 
is subdued before Hashem. You think you're doing something small down here? You're doing something world transforming. You think your little no that you say, that little temptation that you resist in your own heart, in the recesses of yourself that nobody knows is nothing? This is huge. It's shaking the world for the better. What are you doing? You're causing a corresponding effect above. Your sitra achara, your dark side, you're saying no. What is Hashem doing to the global sitra achara? He's bringing it down from above. The sitra achara is conceited. It's arrogant. And that's why it's considered to be soaring aloft. And Hashem says, though you soar aloft like an eagle, I will yet bring you down from there. A person who resists his own sitra achara realizes this prophecy. They are the one causing the sitra achara in its entirety to be brought down. And it's very important to remember it's every single time we resist, each and every time we have a struggle, each and every time we have this opportunity to bring down the global sitra achara, the source of it all before Hashem. Indeed, the Zohar in Parshas Truma extols the divine satisfaction that occurs when the Sitra Achara is subdued here below. For thereby, God's glory rises above all more than by any other praise and this ascent is greater than all else etc okay so let's think of this for a second yes joni you had a question please unmute yourself okay i just am curious is there like a, something you would say to subdue the citra akhra if you're having a thought and you want to stop the citra akhra for the world i mean is there something you could say like anode milvado, is that like something that aids bringing, stopping the citra achra? Okay, so that's a really good question. Um, of course, the first thing we do is immediately just to divert it to our, our attention. But later on in Tanya, we're going to see there's a special kind of line that every once in a while we have to kind of rage against the Sitra Akhra and we kind of yell at it, not, in, not verbally, but in our mind. We say, you're bad, you're disgusting, you're evil. You're everything that the Chachamim have called you. That's what you are. You know who you are? I'm not going to fall for you because we're always falling for it. As we said, the Sitra Akhra, the Klippa, it's all about PR. So it constantly has us. It's all the billboards, the packaging, that's really nothing. There's this children's comic book, a really great, um, author. His name is Gadi Polak. I don't know if you've seen his books. It's like Once Upon a Tale. He has a few books like that. He has this big guy in there called Robert. He represents the Yetzirah. So he has Robert running down the block, all dressed in his handsome suit, very built. In his right hand is closed. It's gloved with these white, beautiful gloves. And he's running down the street and he's saying, guess what I have in my right hand? And the whole town is chasing after Robert. He gets to the end of the block and he goes, ta-da, nothing. They see he has nothing because that's all he has, right? But then what does he do? He goes, now, guess what I have in my left hand? And he goes running. And again, everybody's running after him. It's the craziest thing. We know it's nothing. And yet we're constantly chasing after the packaging. So once, every once in a while, we have to remind ourselves, 
What is this? You're, na- you're bad. You're nasty. You're evil. You know what our Chachamim have called you? So every once in a while we have to rage against the Yetzir Hara. But when we have a moment of temptation, when something comes into our mind, then we don't deal head on with the Yetzir Hara. We don't, we don't say you are bad and evil and all that because we are, what we want to do at that moment is immediately to divert attention. But you gave us a different suggestion. You gave a suggestion of thinking holy thoughts like you said it's like a Pasuk from the Torah we could say or something. Sure, we can start thinking about Hashem. We can say, Shivisi Hashem Samit. I have always placed Hashem before me. This, these kind of thoughts of remembering Hashem's omnipresence is a great way to stay focused on our mission and not to, you know, be lured by the Yetzir Hara. Okay, so where are we now? Oh, so we started to say that when a person subdues and subjugates the Sitra Achara, this causes tremendous, tremendous pleasure to Hashem, and the Zohar says that thereby God's glory rises above all, more than by any other praise, and this ascent is greater than all else. So let's think of other praises through which Hashem is praised. Now, it's an interesting terminology that the Zohar uses. It calls it praise. The Tzemach Tzedek speaks about this terminology, and he makes us understand, helps us understand, what is the praise? A praise is an elicitation. Let's say you praise somebody for their good qualities. You praise somebody for being wise. You praise somebody for being kind. You praise somebody for being benevolent or perseverant, industrious, whatever you praise somebody for. What happens when you praise them for their qualities? You cause an elicitation of those qualities within them. You cause a certain flow to come from those qualities that they have. When you praise somebody for being wise, it causes more of their wisdom to flow. You praise somebody for being benevolent, it causes more of their their benevolence to flow. So every time we do a mitzvah, or every time we serve Hashem, we praise Him, we cause a certain divine elicitation. Now, think of the ways we cause divine elicitation. A tzaddik. This grand tzaddik, whose service of Hashem is so sweet. Okay? The way he davens, the way he studies Torah, the way he does a mitzvah. Imagine how incredible that is. Okay? What a great praise for Hashem. What great divine elicitation this affects. And yet, when a person says no to their dark side, they bring down a profound divine elicitation greater than that of the tzaddik. The Zohar says, this ascent is greater than all else when the sitra achara is subdued. We can never underestimate the power of our struggles. Do we love having struggles? No. We don't. It's difficult. It's challenging. And yet, we should know every time we resist, the praise that we give to Hashem, the ascent that we cause above, is greater than all else. The subjugation of the Sitra Achra is greater than everything. In fact, the Rambam speaks about this idea. He speaks about the Kaivish is Yitzray, somebody who conquers his evil inclination, and the Chassid, the pious man. He contrasts the way philosophy sees these two and the way the Torah sees these two. He says philosophers, although they praise somebody who vanquishes the evil within them, 
They don't see him as the ultimate person. They see somebody who doesn't have any evil desires as being the ultimate person. Somebody who can just follow his natural desires because his natural desires are all good. He's the ultimate. And a person who vanquishes his dark side, he's great, but he has a dark side. And yet, the Torah doesn't see it that way. A person who vanquishes his dark side from a certain aspect is greater than a person who doesn't have a dark side. So, of course, there's benefits to both. But right now, we're looking at the benefit of having the dark side. There's an interesting analogy I read. It's called A Conversation at 98. Two guys are sitting in the old age home, and they're discussing their life. Now, this is not the contrast between a tzaddik and a benoni, but this is rather the contrast between a benoni, somebody who had a dark side and yet subjugated it, and a rasha, somebody who had a dark side and just kept giving in despite his regrets. So one guy says, you know, my whole life I lived a lie, and yet I'm so happy with the lie I lived. I desired to cheat, and I didn't cheat. I desired to be mean and nasty, I was not mean and nasty. At a certain point, he even desired to abandon his family. And he resisted and he stayed loyal. But now, looking back at his life, he's so satisfied that despite all his complications, his inner demons, his struggles, he lived the lie, which was actually, of course, his deepest truth. And he resisted everything that was going on inside of him. And then there's the other guy. The other guy said, you know, his whole life... He decided, wanted to cheat, so he cheated. His horizon seemed to be beyond him more than his family. He left his family. He didn't really want to be an alcoholic, but what did you know? It was the easier path, so he was an alcoholic. And yet, his therapist told him that inside he has a heart of gold. And so while he was, felt like he was really good inside, yet his whole life, he lived just constantly giving into temptation. So you feel bad for that guy. He didn't resist. Is he happy now? No, he's not happy. Was he true to himself? Because sometimes people say, be true to yourself. Well, first of all, who is yourself? Because our essence is beyond everything else and it's transcendent. But if we're talking about our everyday animal, no, don't be true to your everyday animal. You're going to have to resist your animal. And yes, you have struggles and you know what those struggles are, but resist. And when you resist, you can look back and know that you did the right thing. And the lie that you lived was actually the greatest truth. So, moving forward, I just want to summarize what we said until now. I want to summarize and say that every single time we resist and every single time we vanquish the Sitra Akhara below, we cause a corresponding response above, and the universal Sitra Akhara, its source above, becomes subdued before Hashem. And the Zohar tells us that the pleasure that Hashem gets from the subjugation of the Sitra Akhara is greater than all other pleasures. Now, moving to the next section, we're going to further investigate the struggle of the Benoni. Therefore, one should not feel depressed or very troubled at heart. He ought to be somewhat troubled by the occurrence of these thoughts, otherwise he may become indifferent to them and will cease to wage war against them, but he ought not to be sorely troubled by them. Even if he be engaged with this conflict, in this conflict with his thoughts, which will always enter his mind, though he may never rise to the level which, level which precludes their occurrence, yet he should not be depressed. So a person has to understand that some people will just always be struggling. 
And even though you're always going to be struggling, you should not be very troubled. The Alter Rebbe doesn't say you should not be troubled at all. He says you should not be very troubled. Why? Because if a person is not troubled at all by their dark side, then they're not going to work anymore. You know the famous speech given to the graduating university students where they were admonished to stay hungry. If you're not going to be hungry, you're not going to aspire. So if you, should you be sad that you have a dark side? Should you be depressed about it? No, of course not. But should you be complacent and not troubled at all? No, of course not. You have to stay hungry. If you're not staying hungry, if you're not staying, when, when will my deeds reach the deeds of my forefathers? You're never going to do anything. You're going to end up being a Russia. You can't be complacent. You have to be just a little troubled enough to keep you working. But you shouldn't be troubled enough that you're sad. Absolutely not. Ki ulai lekach nivra. For perhaps this is what he was created for. And this is the service demanded of him to subdue the Sitra Ahura constantly. Guess what? Everybody's created for a different purpose. And some people, in fact, most people, were created for the purpose of struggling. Sounds so hard to hear that, but it's true. Some people are just created to struggle. And if that's why you were created for, you can't be sad about it. This is your mission in life. We have to change what success means to us. Some people start off thinking success means reaching the finish line. In fact, this is a very great foundation in Hasidic thought. It's not about reaching the finish line. It's not about being the best. It's about doing your best. And there's a difference. Being the best is actually egocentric. It means I want to be a shining star. Doing your best means serving Hashem. And why did Hashem create you? He created you for a certain purpose. Everybody has a different kind of purpose. Some people's purpose is having a dark side, never being able to vanquish that dark side, and yet never falling for it, constantly having to struggle. If that's what Hashem created them for, they can't be troubled about it. They have to realize this is why they were created. Hashem wants the best what you can do. Look, there's a one ounce shot glass and then there's a 32 ounce pitcher. When the one ounce shot glass has one ounce, it's fulfilled. When the 32 ounce pitcher has one ounce, it's sorely depleted. It's missing. It's wanting. Everybody has to do their very best. And when they're doing their very best, that's what success looks like. Success looks like you doing what you were created for, you serving Hashem, you giving it your all. There's a story of Rabbi Shachat, he's the Rosh Yeshiva here of Yeshiva Earl Hanan Chabad. When he was a boy of about 12 or 13, one Purim, he was in an uplifted state of mind and he wrote a letter to the Rebbe. He wrote a letter describing his challenges as a teenager, the downfalls that he had, the struggles with his dark side, his trials. And then he wrote to the Rebbe. You know, the Alter Rebbe wrote the Shulchan Aruch when he was 18. The Sheif Shmaitza wrote his book when he was 18. Right? Mishalom Igra delivered a, a speech that literally astounded the great rabbis of his community when he was 13 years old. I don't see myself reaching any of that, so why should I continue? And the Rebbe answered his letter. He said, about your struggles, I'm sure you have a Tanya. And I'm sure you have a Tanya with an index. 
You'll find your answers for your struggles with the dark side in the Tanya. And then about his questions that he asked, giving up in Torah study because he's not going to ever reach the heights that other people reached. The, 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 the Rebbe said to him, I don't understand your question. Our purpose is not to outsmart anybody else or outdo anybody else. That's not our purpose. The Mishnah tells us, Ani nivresi l'shamish as kaini. I was created to serve Hashem. Everybody has their own purpose. For some people, their purpose is achieving excellence in tzedakah. For some people, their purpose is achieving excellence in Torah study. Of course, everybody is equally obligated in 613 mitzvahs. But as far as achieving superiority or excellence, everybody has their own place to shine. It's all about Ani nivresi l'shamish eskaini. I was created to serve my master. It's not about reaching the finish line. It's not about being a superstar. Of course, we have to aspire to be like our foremothers, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. We have to aspire to be like Miriam Hanavia, all the great women in Jewish history. But to actually end up looking like them, that's not necessarily our choice. And that's not actually what success means. Success means doing our very best. Concerning this, Job said to God, You have created wicked men, as though it were preordained that one man be wicked and another be righteous. So the Talmud tells us that Job, Eov, wanted to exempt the entire world from punishment. And he spoke to Hashem and he said, the master of the world, You have created righteous men, you have created wicked men. What does this mean you have created righteous men and wicked men? The Gemara tells us that before a baby is born, actually at conception, the angel in charge of conception brings a drop before Hashem. And he says, what will this drop be? Will it be wise or will it be foolish? Will it be strong or will it be weak? Will it be rich or will it be poor? But one thing it does not ask Hashem, will it be righteous or will it be wicked? Because that's for the person to decide. Everything in the hands of heaven, except for fear of heaven. So how could Eve say that you created righteous men and you created wicked men? This goes against the principle of freedom of choice. If Hashem created righteous men and he created wicked men, then we're predestined to do whatever we do. We don't have freedom of choice and then nobody could be punished or for that matter, nobody could be rewarded. Now, the Alter Rebbe already addressed in chapter 14 the idea of you created righteous men. And he said, indeed, Hashem does create people who have the potential to become righteous, the potential to totally eradicate their evil. And that's what Eve meant when he said you created righteous men. You have created people with the capability of totally eradicating their inner evil. Not everybody has that capability. Here the Alter Rebbe addresses what does it mean, Barasa Rishaim. You have created wicked men. How could we say that Hashem created wicked men? The implication of Job's statement is not that they were created to actually be wicked, God forbid, and sinful, meaning sinful in thought, speech, and action. The meaning of Job's statement becomes clear, however, in light of the above discussion. True, God does not ordain whether man will act wickedly, but he does create wicked men 
in the sense that their minds work like the mind of the Russia, with evil thoughts constantly occurring to them. God created them in this way so they will engage in battle with these thoughts and thereby subjugate the Sitra Akhra, as the Alter Rebbe says. Ella sheyagia alehem kemaisa harshem b'machshavtam b'erhorem bilvad, but that there should occur to them in their thoughts and musings alone that which occurs to the wicked, meaning that evil thoughts should enter their mind as they do in the mind of the wicked. So what does it mean that God created wicked people? He created people whose inner struggles is similar to that of the wicked. What the wicked actually do, this actually occurs to them, and they always struggle with it. And they shall eternally wage war to avert their minds from them in order to subjugate the Sitra Akhra. Yet they will never be able to annihilate the Sitra Akhra in their souls completely, for this is accomplished by Tzadikim. A Tzadik subjugates his animal soul to such a degree that it is unable to arouse temptation in his heart. His mind is therefore untroubled by evil thoughts. Those, however, of whom Job said that they were created wicked cannot rise to this level. It is always possible for evil thoughts to enter their minds. Their task is not to give them free reign. So we have to realize there's something in life called perpetual problems. Those are the problems that are not solvable. These are the problems that will never go away. Our task is not to solve every problem. Our task is to learn how to deal with those problems. One of these problems, perpetual problems, is the inherent problem of the Benoni, his dark side. He will never, ever be able to do away with his dark side, and yet he will constantly have to maintain resistance, always have to be on the offense, pushing or defense rather, always having to be on the defense, pushing the thoughts away as soon as they rise into their minds. Now, of course, this feels tragic, and in a certain way, it is. It's like, you know, they asked two different people, what can you tell me that's special about the Benini? And one of them said, the Benini... Isn't he special? He never ever loses. He never ever gives in to the dark side. And the other one says, The Bainani, isn't he special? Even though he never loses, but yet he never wins. And that's the Bainani. It's tragic in a way. He's never allowed to lose, and yet he never ever could win. But in this tragedy, in this inner turmoil, and in this complication that we're never going to do with. So if you ever thought you're never going to be complicated, that at one point in life you're going to grow up and you're not going to be complicated anymore, so sorry to disappoint you. You're always going to be complicated, or at least most of us. Some of us were actually born with the capability of being a tzaddik. And you won't know unless you try. So you've got to try and try and try to be a tzaddik. And then when you feel like you hit yourself against the wall and you're not getting any further, realize that you're not a tzaddik. You're a benoni and you're always going to be complicated. However, there's something really special about having these complications. And this is what the altar is going to explain right now. For there are two kinds of divine pleasure. Hashem takes special pleasure in the neutralization of the Sitra Akhra. Like we will learn in chapter 36, which we actually just did recently, Hashem created with this world with a purpose. 
that he should have a dwelling place below down here in the darkest world where there's no overt realization of godliness. Hashem wants that the Sitra Achra should be subjugated and he should be realized in the place of Sitra Achra. Hashem takes special divine pleasure in the neutralization of the Sitra Achra. Sadiqim too neutralized the Sitra Achra, but there's a special way that the Benoni, the one who has a dark side, neutralizes the Sitra Achra and renders it pow- powerless. So there's two kinds of divine pleasure, and one is from the complete annihilation of the Sitra Achra and the conversion of bitter to sweet and of darkness to light, the former referring to the emotional faculties of the animal soul and the latter to its mental faculties, which is accomplished by the Tzadikim. So the first kind of divine pleasure is by taking the darkness and transforming it to light. Taking the bitterness and transforming it to sweetness. Tzadikim are amazing. Everything that they touch turns to gold. They're transformers. They're able to take darkness and turn it to light. They're able to take bitterness and turn it to sweetness. They're able, you know what the Talmud says? The Talmud speaks about what we say in Shema. You shall love God, your God. With all your heart. Levavcha. Why does it say levavcha with two bases? So the Talmud says, Bishnei Yitzarecha. With both your inclinations. Love him with your good inclination. Love him with your evil inclination. That's what a tzaddik does. A tzaddik, a complete tzaddik, takes his evil inclination and turns it into a powerful force for good. There's a story of the Hasidic master, Rabbi Yitzchak Mibardichev, that he couldn't wait to shake the lulav and esrog the first day of Sukkot because it's been a year. So he waited till the time would come when it's halakhically okay to start shaking the lulav and esrog in the morning. He sat there with his eyes glazed over, staring at the lulav and esrog. And as soon as dawn broke, his hand lunged through the glass and he grabbed the esrog and the lulav, and his hand was bleeding because his animal soul lusted for the mitzvah. He loved Hashem not just with his yeter tov, but he loved Hashem even with his yeter hara. Now his animal soul became a powerful force for good. That's the tzaddik. How great, how wonderful. Don't we all wish we could be there? But most of us cannot. So that's the one type of delicacy that Hashem loves. And the second, when the Sitra Achra is subdued while it is yet at its strongest and most powerful, soaring like an eagle. And from this height, Hashem topples it in response to human initiative, meaning as a result of one's efforts at subduing the Sitra Achra in his soul. This is accomplished by the Benonim. So what does the tzaddik do? The tzaddik topples the Yetzirah, topples the Sitra Achra. He totally neutralizes it. He eradicates it and he transforms it into a force for good. He takes the bitterness, he turns it to sweetness. He takes the darkness, he turns it to the light. The, the Benoni is somebody different. His evil within him is alive and kicking. It's young and strong. He's not able to power it, to depower it. He cannot disarm it. That's just too bad. But while it's still in its full strength, he resists and he says no. 
This is the pleasure that he brings to Hashem. When he resists and says no, he causes Hashem to bring down the Sitra Achra above. And this is another form of pleasure. Each of the two aforementioned categories, those who were created righteous and those who created wicked, brings about one of these two kinds of divine gratification. This is alluded to in the verse, and make me delicacies such as I love. So the Torah, in recounting the story of Isaac, Yitzchak passing away, before he passes away, he calls his eldest son, Esau, Esav, and he says to him, I want to bless you before I die, so please go out, catch game, and prepare me delicacies such as I love. And of course, this is a simple narrative, supposedly, but of course, there's a deeper meaning. Matamim l'shain rabim, shnei minei nachas ruach. Where the word matamim, delicacies, is written in the plural, indicating two kinds of pleasure. V'zehu maimer hashchina libaneha, klalos Yisrael, kedepirshu betikunim. These words are the charge of the Shekhinah to its children, the community of Israel, as explained to Kune Zohar, that with these words, God asks of the Jewish people to please him with their divine service. So this story of Yitzchak asking Esau, bring me delicacies such as I love, is actually the charge of the Shekhinah, the divine presence, telling its children, the Jewish people, prepare for me delicacies such as I love. In Perkei it says how the Jewish people are called children to Hashem. Quoting the Torah, saying, Banim atem la Hashem You are children to Hashem, your God. What is the Shekhinah request of its children? Prepare me delicacies, such as I love. Delicacies in the plural form. So we learn two things here. First of all, we learn that there are two kinds of pleasures that we bring to Hashem through our service of Him. And secondly, we learn that the two kinds of pleasures that we bring him are analogous to two kinds of pleasures that we get from food. We're going to look at human pleasure in food, and we're going to understand divine pleasure in our service. Just as with material food, there are two kinds of delicacies. One of sweet and luscious foods. And the other of sharp or sour articles, which are unpleasant to eat in their natural state. Okay, so the sweet and luscious foods, that's the tzaddik. Just straight up sweetness, uncomplicated, right from the go, it's sweet. Then there's another kind of food. This kind of food is unpleasant, it's bitter. And this is the work of the benoni. But have been well spiced and prepared so that they can become delicacies which revive the soul. So too are there two kinds of spiritual delicacies. Like we said, one is provided by tzaddikim who are occupied solely with matters that are good and sweet, holy matters, having conquered the evil of their animal soul, they are no longer need to grapple with the Sitra Achra. Their divine service consists of increasing the light of the holiness. The second kind of delicacy is provided by Benonim, who are occupied with bitter matters, with battling against the Sitra Achra in their soul, and with the evil thoughts that it spawns. So let's look at this. Let's look at the two kinds of delicacies. There's those sweet delicacies, 
And then there's those unpleasant, bitter, sour kind of things that are not good on their own. But if you prepare them properly, they actually become better than sweet delicacies. If you prepare them properly, the Alter Rebbe says, they become articles to lahashiv hanefesh, revive the soul. So let's look at the human experience of having to revive a soul. Somebody who fainted. What happens when a person faints? When a person faints, their imminent soul powers, their highest pnimis departs from them. What does that mean? We have two levels of life energies. We have highest pnimis, and this is imminent life force. This is the way the soul contracts and tailor suits the body. It contracts itself and it is tailor suited to have a relationship with the limbs of the body. So the power of sight has become contracted to the vessels of the eye and the power of hearing has been contracted to suit the vessels of the ear. And so now there's a relationship going on. There's a consciousness and the body relates to the soul because the soul has been contracted to tailor suit the limbs of the body. Then there's something else. That's the etzem hanefesh. This is the soul essence. The soul essence is aloof from the body. It is the soul as it is unto itself. It does not contract itself. It does not tailor suit itself in order to suit the the limbs. And therefore the soul, the, the body does not have the ability to have a direct intimate relationship with this level of soul. While of course it has a relationship and not just a relationship, it is specifically the soul essence that gives life to the person. It is not openly felt within the person. So the person fainted. Their consciousness left them. What it left them, what departed from them, their imminent soul powers, but they're not dead. They're still alive. Why? Because they have their soul essence still there. So what do we do to call upon the soul essence? What do we do to reach that deep essence within them? We give them something jolting, something pungent to smell, something sharp. And suddenly it triggers a new flow of life and brings them back to consciousness. And now it calls upon the soul essence and it triggers it to now channel energy back into the body in a way that is imminent. Okay, now let's get a little Kabbalistic over here. We learn that there are two levels of divine energy that are brought to this world, that give this world its life, that give all worlds life. So there are two levels of divine influence, divine life force, divine energy that sustain all the worlds. One of them is called Mimale Kol Almin, the divine light that fills all worlds. This is the divine light that has been contracted, suited to tailor the world and everything in it so that it gives each creature and each thing in this world its unique character, its unique identity. It relates to the world and to its creatures. This is a contracted form of divine light. This is analogous to the human life force that is imminent, the one that gives us consciousness, the one that gives each and every limb and organ of the body its life force. Then there's another level of divine energy, and this is called Saivev Kol Almen, 
surrounds all worlds, encompasses all worlds. This is the life energy that is not contracted, that is not suited to the capabilities of the world. And even though it is definitely within the worlds, we call it encompassing all worlds because it is not overtly felt. It remains aloof and as though apart. Even though it's bringing all the worlds into existence, we don't have a direct relationship with it. And so we call it encompassing because it seems to be aloof and apart. Now, just like there are two kinds of delicacies and they have different kinds of effect on the soul, the service of the tzaddik is the sweet food service. And every time he does his service, he channels more of the divine energy that is called mimali kol almin, fills all worlds. He brings this divine energy, a greater flow of it into the worlds. And all, all of us do that when we do a mitzvah. However, a person who resists the sitra achara, a person who has a strong dark side that's kicking and fighting within them, healthy as ever, even stronger than the day when they were born, and yet they resist while it's still in its strength. He's like somebody who still has darkness, who's the, the taste is still sour, the taste is still bad, but he's spicing it, he's preparing it, he's doing something special in order to make it taste good. He's like bringing Hashem the special pungent flavor. And you know what he does when he does that? He brings down energy from Saivev Kal Amen. He calls as if upon the soul essence of the universe. With this sharp flavor, he reaches a higher level than the Tzaddik does, bringing down energy up from a place that the Tzaddik does not bring down. And you're going to ask, really, how is this possible? Well, let's look at the Tzaddik, blessed person that he is. What did he do? He was able to reach harmony and balance in his personality. So now, he corrected his personality so that his personality desires Hashem. He's not conflicted. No, not at all. Whatever he wants to do is good. Is good. Now let's look at the conflicted person. Let's look at the person who has to say no. He's transcending his personality all the time. He can't just give in to his personality. So when he transcends his personality, he allows something beyond his personality to come down. When you're always going with your personality, you can't reach beyond your personality. But when you're subduing your personality and you're transcending your personality, you are allowing for force way than you can reach to come down. And this is what we do every time we say no. Isn't this amazing? Every single time we say no to the dark side, every single time we resist, we take the sourness, the bitterness within ourselves, and we prepare a special delicacy to Hashem. And this kind of delicacy is even better than the sweet delicacy. This kind of delicacy brings Hashem the greatest pleasure. It reaches higher as if to the soul essence of the universe. So let's wrap up what we said until now. And we said that there's a special something in the service of the Benoni. Because the Tzaddik, although he battles the dark side too, but he vanquishes it and he transforms it. The Benoni was created for a different purpose. The Bainani was created for the purpose to constantly battle evil and never be able to vanquish it completely. And these are two kinds of delicacies that we bring to Hashem. One kind of delicacy is the delicacy of sweetness. This is the delicacy of the tzaddik. 
just straight up goodness. But then there's another kind of delicacy, the delicacy of taking something sharp or bitter or sour and preparing it properly. And this is the service of the Benoni. And with this service, he brings Hashem a greater pleasure. This is what the Zohar calls Kadis Kafia Sitra Achora. When the Sitra Achora is subdued, this is the greatest praise to Hashem. This brings Hashem the greatest pleasure. And so I'm going to uh, end off with a famous story, which I'm sure at least 50% of class heard from the Baal Shem Tov, but it really brings out this point. The Baal Shem Tov told the story of a Jew, Reb David, who lived in abject poverty. He could hardly put bread on the table, but he always yearned for something of the rich man. It wasn't his palace, and it wasn't his delicious food. He wanted to be able to buy a beautiful esrug like the rich man does. And so all year long, he scraped together penny by penny until Sukkah's time came. He took the money and he went to town and he bought a beautiful esrug. He brings it home and he wife, his wife sees a beautiful esrug and she said, how did you buy it? And he said, well, I spent all this money that I saved all year long in order to buy a beautiful esrug. And she is livid. Are you kidding? All year long, we're starving and you dare afford yourself the luxury of a rich man to spend a small fortune on an esrug and in her rage she bites off the top of the esrug and the esrug is now unkosher and he cannot use it for sukkahs and Reb David looks up at the sky and he says Hashem it looks like you didn't find me worthy of having a beautiful esrug and the Baal Shem Tov said not since our forefather Abraham bound his only son Isaac ready to sacrifice him for Hashem has anybody withstood a test with such integrity as Reb David did when he resisted his anger when he didn't rage and so every single time we resist our dark side struggles that we don't that nobody knows that we have something that's going on inside of us we say that makes us a great man that makes us special actually this could be as great as the binding of isaac resisting our dark side could be as great as the binding of isaac so may hashem bless us all in our struggles that we should not be very troubled but troubled enough to keep working and we should see the time when the Navi says, I will remove the spirit of impurity from the land and we shall only know goodness and light and happiness and holiness forever. And I'm opening now for questions and discussions. Amen. Everybody is muted, so if you have a question, please unmute yourself. I have a question. Cheryl. I have two, actually. One is, would you say that the Yetzir Hara is like the internal Citra Akhra? Oh, yes. Would... It is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're not the same, really. It's just that Sitra Akhra encompasses both the internal inside man as well as the, just the evil side operating outside of us. Our Sitra Akhra inside of us is an expression of the Sitra Akhra, the global Sitra Akhra. Mm-hmm. But it is not the global Sitra Akhra. So the Sitra Akhra that we have inside of us is the Sitra Akhra. It comes from the global Sitra Akhra. I see. Okay, great. And then the second thing is that... so. The Benoni is always able to resist those evil thoughts and urges. So we fall into the category of Rashai, and so we sometimes do it, right? Like, as you're saying here, just the Benoni gives 
are able to take those sour delicacies and give it to Hashem, but the Russia, the, the Russia us, are able to do it. All right, I don't want to hear that. Don't call us that. <laughs> the, the aspiring Bainonim. Okay, I like that better, actually. Aspiring Bainonim. <laughs> the, yeah. the aspiring Bainonim do the very same thing. That's the terminology. The, the Alter Rebbe is very exact in his terminology. He says, With each and every time we repel. Sometimes people are, unfortunately don't repel. Sometimes we don't resist. Sometimes we fall. But it's not just the Benoni. It's even the aspiring Benonim. Every single time we resist evil, we are taking the, the evil within us and we are spicing it well to bring it to Hashem. And we're going to complete this thought next week. I just didn't want to go over time, so I left it in the middle of the thought. Okay.